Welcome to another edition of the All Things Bama podcast, powered by BamaCentral.com. I'm your host, Tyler Martin, and for this week's episode, I'm joined by BamaCentral.com editor and writer, Christopher Walsh. And for the last half of our episode, I'm joined by former Alabama basketball coach and legend, Wimp Sanderson. But for the first part of the episode, I got Chris here with me. Chris, how's it going? How's your week been? Um, you know, you know, we're, we're getting into the, the full off-season stages. Uh, you know, how's everything progressing for you? Oh, there, there's no such thing as an off-season. I mean, um, I, I'm good, though, but thank you for asking. And, you know, we're sitting here in, um, I guess we should call it late January, and, you know, we're going to, you know, sneeze, basically, and National Signing Day is going to be here, and then we're going to blink, and it's going to be, you know, spring football's here, and, Next thing you know, it's a day and and yada yada yada. But that's that's part of the fun and the joy of it. It's it's um, you know there's this continual cycle and and things never get um, stale ever. <laughs> no, you're exactly right. And Chris, let's go ahead and start with some. It seems like maybe the really one of the few coaching changes for the Crimson Tide this this as an off season. And it's going to be, you know, Freddie Roach hired as the defensive line coach. That's what it appears to be. Now, nothing official yet, no official announcement, but he was in Tuscaloosa Monday. And then on Tuesday, he was seen already on the recruiting trail up in Memphis. Uh, I mean, how do you feel about this hire, Chris? Do you feel like this is the direction Alabama needed to go? You know, it's interesting because I covered Freddie here uh, at Alabama and, you know, now that he, he's coming back, I, I always liked him as a player, but, you know, that was over – 10 years ago. So I, I'm looking forward to, to running into him again. And, you know, I mean, we, I've seen him around the, the, the football complex when he had various other positions. But, you know, here's a guy who, you, you know, he loves it here. Um, this is a guy that I think um, is a, a big time up and comer in the, in the coaching profession. I mean, you know, the New York Giants were supposedly interested in him about a week ago. And, for Ole Miss to keep them, they had to, you know, sweeten the deal uh, considerably. And so, yeah, I, this is going to be an interesting move. And I think this is kind of one of those uh, position hires that Saban feels that he can groom them a little bit. And he doesn't have to worry about, you know, somebody hiring him away a year from now. So uh, I, I like the move. I, I think it's going to be um Really interesting to, to see what they, they do with uh, some of the other coaches' positions. I don't think there's going to be much turnover this year. I think Saban really wants to keep as much consistency as he can this year in particular. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess I have to say good move. Yeah, I, I agree with it. The, 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 the best thing I think about it is, you know, Freddie is an Alabama guy. He's from the state, obviously played at the capstone. Uh, and this is who this is who you want on. You know, I mean, I'm. This is who you want on the recruiting trail too. Um, you know, and the, the interesting thing is, uh, at Ole Miss, he was the primary recruiter for a few guys in the 2018, 2017, and then 2019 classes. Um, and he was getting three and a couple of four star guys down there. But it's interesting how you know the big fish still remaining in the 2020 classes, McKinley Jackson, who just did an unofficial visit uh, this past weekend to Tuscaloosa. Um, Saban actually has an in-home visit with him scheduled for, uh, for Thursday. Um, but, you know, Freddie Roach was the primary recruiter for him at Ole Miss. 
and that was one of the reasons why McKinley had Ole Miss up there. And now Freddie's, you know, with with Saban and with Alabama, and you got to think Freddie's going to be there Thursday for that in-home visit. Um, and you got to think this is a great look on the recruiting trail, having a guy from the state and who, who knows it. I mean, who really, you know, eats, lives, breathes Alabama. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting how much better of a recruiter someone suddenly becomes when they're at Alabama and they have you know Nick Saban as a coach. And those are two huge factors. Uh, Freddie's a good recruiter as it is. I mean, this is going to make him a really good recruiter. So, uh, And I think that was a big reason why he did get hired. It's, you've got to be able to both coach and recruit um, if you want to be on the staff you know, with, with Coach Saban. And Freddie is a nice fit in that respect, very much so. What, what did you think of maybe – because I know before this there were some Bo Davis rumors, Chris. I know some people were wanting to see him back on, you know, back on the staff. Well, what did you hear on that front? Because, you know, I know I know he had some contract issues kind of with the Detroit Lions. Yeah, he's got a two he, – he signed a two-year deal with the, with the Lions, and in order to get out of the contract, he'd have to pay a very steep price. And, uh, you know, it's also he's in a good situation. He he's getting well known and, and, and you know, with the Lions and the guys that he is developing. And so uh, the timing definitely was was not right for him to come back. And, and, you know, that's a huge issue with a lot of these moves. Just the timing has to be right, not only for the school, but, you know, for the coach as well. So I, you know, I still wouldn't be surprised if we see him back at Alabama down the road, but it's not going to be for a little little longer. Yeah, and that was, um, you know, and, and, and Brian Baker, I know he's he's moving off from being, obviously, the defensive line coach for Freddie stepping in, um, but there's still a chance maybe for him to move to an off-the-field position? Yeah, um, that seems to be the prevailing theory is that he's going to do kind of what Burns was doing uh, before he went to, you know, coach uh, the New York Giants as a, go back into um, as a running back coach. Um one of the things with well with with Burton, something that no, nobody was really talking about, he had a couple of health issues, and then that he had, I want to say it was hip replacement surgery, and then after that happened, uh, he had a broken femur, so his recovery time took a long time, and so you know stepping away from coaching allowed him to kind of do those things. Uh, with Coach Martin, he's had a couple really young kids, if if I remember right, and. You know, it's it's when you're doing a lot of recruiting, you spend a lot of time away from home. So I'm kind of wondering if that might be a little bit of a factor and that he wanted to have a little bit more of a family life right now. But um, it's it's you know, he's still getting me around. So it's it's he'll still be, you know, uh, helping out the Crimson Tide. Yeah, and it's honestly, it is great for Burton Burns. Now he's going to be coaching Saquon Barkley at, at the Giants. Uh, just, you know, fantastic for him. Yeah, I mean, talk about a, a nice, uh, um, you know, plum uh, spot. You know, he, he's going to have an incredible running back to work with, although he did a pretty good job at Alabama with a couple guys, you know, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, and and everyone in between. I mean, just, you know, every single guy that was coming out of, of Alabama's, run, you know, backfield was um, incredibly well coached. So it's it's – the Giants, I think, are uh, very excited to have them, and and it's it's funny to watch them kind of going after Alabama guys right now. So, uh, you know, it's why not? It's, it's you know, it, it, you want to be successful, you go find uh, other successful people. 
Burton and Joe Judge uh, reuniting up in the Meadowlands. But, Chris, it's also Senior Bowl week, and Alabama's got a few guys down on Mobile, Jared Maiden, Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis. And then uh, this is on Tuesday, you know, Raekwon Davis, he pulled out. uh, He had an ankle injury. Um, First, I want to ask you about those four guys. Um, Outside of Raekwon, obviously, because he's hurt, we all know that the practices mean more than the game. And those three guys, Jared, Anthony, and Terrell, who has the like? Who do you think Chris needs these practices and needs this attention more? Oh, I don't think there's any doubt. It's Terrell Lewis. It's he needs to show. Well, first off, he's one of those guys who just stands out by just standing standing there on the field. So, watching the position drills, you you line him up with all the other linebackers, and he's going to stand out uh, just from the get go. And if he shows good fluidity, which you know, that's that's a strength of his. A lot of those NFL coaches are going to be like, hmm, you know, this guy we need to take a, a, a second look at. The other part of it with him, and, and actually, you know, it might be the most important thing that happens down at the senior ball. It's the medical stuff. And he has had some issues, and he's going to go through a, broad, you know, a, a variety of tests. And if he passes them with flying colors, you know, I – you can't rule him out as being a potential first-round draft pick. Uh, I don't think it's that likely, but he's one of those guys. He's a freak at his position physically, and he's a smart, smart young guy. Uh, he's going to impress a lot of people in Mobile. One of the other former Alabama players I should have mentioned and who got some special treatment um, at their opening press conference was Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. when they announced, when Jim Nagy announced that uh, he would be wearing a special helmet and one that would be auctioned off for charity, but had half of it was had the OU and then the other the other side uh, was you know had that crimson and then the white number two for Alabama. But I, I think I saw a picture of him in practice uh, today and uh, this is on Tuesday and he, he was actually just wearing just the Oklahoma helmet. Yeah, it's. I, I kind of wonder if if the uh, if the helmet if 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 he's going to wait till the game to wear it or you know how that how exactly this is going to work. You know that thing. It's. I actually did a brief uh, interview with uh, Sports Illustrated on on Tuesday afternoon, and uh, the point that I made with them, and I want to make it here, is I mean, what a really smart marketing tool by the senior bowl people because what nothing is going to attract fans better in this state than an Alabama quarterback. And granted, you know, Jalen left, but he left on very, very good terms. And to be able to say, Hey, you can see Jalen one final time, you know, with a half Alabama logo on, that's going to sell a lot. That's going to fill a lot of seats. So that was a really smart move. Yeah. I, uh, I, I personally, I, I loved it. I think, you know, it kind of took, took Jalen just a little bit back, you know, um, that it was such a kind gesture from the Senior Bowl uh, just to honor both schools and to honor him. And now I know, I know a lot of people kind of was stirring up some controversy. Oh, we're going to start doing this for all transfers. Um, I'm just going to go on record. Jalen Hurts is a different kind of transfer. He's just he's, – he's built different. Um, and what he means to both programs is just um, – it goes beyond college football, really. Yeah, and the number of players that are going to – are starting to transfer and have success, I, yeah, they, they don't have the budget for that kind of thing. So – uh, I like the move this time, and and yes, I think it was a, a special case and and good move. Um, some more NFL draft prep news, really. Uh, Tua announced that he will be uh, attending the NFL draft in Las Vegas. Um, Chris, first, I don't know if you saw it, but did you see how the setup is going to be in the Bellagio Fountains for for April's draft? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> so they're setting up a stage 
inside the fountains of the Bellagio, and they're going to have a boat to take the prospects and their families uh, to and from uh, where, like, they announced, like, the picks, where Goodell will be. Sure, why not? I mean, it's Vegas. I mean, you got to do everything over the over the top. So, you know, I'm sure there are going to be showgirls who are, are going to be involved on the boat as well and, and so forth down the line. I expect nothing less from Las Vegas than to go all out on this. Yeah, some people. So at first, people thought it was a joke, but but no, it's legit. And uh, and I have to think someone's going to fall in at one point um, during the the opening night of the draft come April. Oh, I hope somebody dives in. Never mind, falls in. You know, just uh, take the plunge. It sounds like something Joe Burrow should do, don't you think? Oh, totally. I, I think I think he would. Um, you know, if you saw the interviews with him after the championship game when he was a little. Uh, Little under the influence, I think that'd be great, great for Vegas. Um, but yeah, so also along along the Tua news, you know, he's expected to be healthy and take part in some workouts before the draft uh, for for the team. What, Chris? What are you like? What would you like if you were an NFL executive? What would you be wanting to see from Tua at that time? I just want to see him move around. If I can see him move around, I'm taking him in the first round, no problem. I I don't have any questions about his arm strength. I don't have any questions about his ability to learn I, there's there's only one question in my mind and that is it, the mobility on the hip and if he's 95 percent 90 percent of you know if he can move like he used to i'm taking him no I, i'm not even thinking about it yeah i i've got to agree with you and i mean who knows you know obviously if he didn't have the hip injury he he probably is i mean potentially the number one pick uh, i think this is a really interesting question but Chris, who has who has the who has a more likelihood to be a bust, Tua or Joe Burrow? Oh, geez. Um, well, I mean, as as impressive as Joe Burrow was this season, he's going to be going to the Bengals. Uh, <laughs> you know, granted, he you know he he went to Ohio State, so there's this that strong Ohio connection and you know home state and all that other stuff. Uh, it's, 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 but you know, who are they surrounding him with kind of thing? Now, if Tua goes to the Miami Dolphins, uh, you know, it, it just every once in a while, you just see a combination that where you just sit there and go, man, man, that might be, that might be, that might be gold. That might be just an incredible tandem that just works together. And that's kind of one of those situations to me. I just think Miami would be a, a wonderful fit for him. And they're going to surround him with a lot of I, I mean, how many draft picks does Miami have this year? Like 20? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I think Whatever. they have three or four in the first round. Yeah. I, so, it, and granted, it's going to be, you know, he's going to start slow. And it's going to be a, a little difficult the first year or so. But uh, there's a lot more potential, I think, in Miami than, than I think in Cincinnati right now. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with you. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the Bengals, they have a new regime with Zach Taylor. And, you know, toward the end of the season, things were looking a little bit better. Um, but the Bengals are the Bengals. You're exactly right. And I think if you look at Joe Burrow, I think even at that championship game, I know we didn't get to talk about it. I talked about it last week with Joey on here. But um, I, I still, in that game, I still think moving forward as a pro, I think I would still take Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow when, when Trevor comes out, you know, more than likely in 2021. Um, I, you know, I think, I think Burrow, uh, he was, was the beneficiary of a really good system and really great players too. I mean, I think yeah, he definitely improved. He definitely developed, but I think, I think a lot of people are, are you know, aren't 
remembering how great of a player Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or, you know, uh, Terrence Marshall, those LSU receivers, they're legit. And I mean, and all the offensive line was awarded the Joe Moore Award, best O line in the country. Um, so I, I think a little bit Joe would, you know, he, he just he, he got the benefit of having a, a, an all star team around him. Well, the one thing that really impressed me about Joe, and this is, you know, a huge reason why the Tigers were able to, to beat the Crimson Tide this year is just his ability to do what needs to be to make a play on third down. Just something's on, you know, things are on the line and he is just, he was just clutch this year. And that's really, really hard to find. Now, when you look at the measurables and the intangibles, you know, when you have a quarterback who's six, five uh, or, or whatever um, he may be, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be something that really kind of stands out teams it's like i'll never forget the first time I, I stood next to peyton manning and i had this moment of like holy cow you know you don't realize how tall he is until you see you know you're you're standing right next to him and he's a really big guy um and the first nfl team i covered uh, trent dilfer was the quarterback and he was six four easily uh, probably closer to six five uh you know kind of thing you know and nowadays you know smaller quarterbacks are kind of in vogue and if they have an incredible arm and football sense they're gonna they're gonna be popular but still you know it's the safer pick is picking the bigger guy so that would that would kind of lead me in that direction yeah you know i was looking at the list of underclassmen who have left in the schools who have accumulated the most underclassmen and alabama was um was sitting at six with underclassmen leaving LSU at nine. I think when you look just around the SEC, Chris, um, this LSU team, uh, I, I didn't ask Joey this, but I'm going to ask you, you know, with nine cl- underclassmen leaving, uh, with Dave Aranda taking the Baylor job, with Joe Brady going to k- the Carolina Panthers, uh, do you see this LSU team still competing uh, with, with Alabama in 2020? Uh, no. <laughs> to be blunt, I I. Don't think you can consider LSU the favorite to win the division. I don't think you can consider them even the favorite to finish second. I think right now you're you're probably looking at a third place team in the division, and you know, okay, look, it's LSU. There's a lot of talent, and there's you know going to be um, some really tough games coming up. But you look at the rest of the SEC. You know, A and M's getting better. Uh, you look at the coaches in the in the SEC. You know now we've got Lane Kiffin and, and Mike Leach, and you know Auburn is you know it's 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 going to be interesting next year how the first month of the season I think kind of goes because there isn't room for everyone to compete next year. But it's Alabama is going to be the clear favorite despite all the players that Alabama is losing. Yeah, I think what would be interesting is, you know, Dave Aranda just took the Baylor job, and I believe all – I mean, that that filled up all Power 5 jobs um, in college football. And I, I would be interested to see if Baylor, under first-year head coach uh, Dave Aranda, gets more wins than LSU in 2020. Uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's sad – it's great and it's sad at the same time. You know, it's just all these people at LSU are using this as launching points for their career kind of thing. But you kind of get the feeling that they're going through a, hey, with the last guy, I'll turn turn off the light kind of thing. Uh, it, it won't be that extreme, but 
it's it's going to be really hard for LSU next year. And and yeah, I mean, with these coaches going in such interesting places, it's it's almost like uh, uh, you know, it. I, I was going to say it's almost like you know Alabama with some of its its extra you know, or with Saban's former coaches, but it's not anywhere on that level. Um, so the LSU fans will have fun with it and kind of you know who's going to do better kind of thing, but uh, it, it's it's a totally different situation. Yeah, and uh, real quick before we get into your tri- tide and transition stories you've been doing about the the tides depth chart for 2020, um, you 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 brought up the SEC coaching carousel and the new coaches like Sam Pittman, Mike Leach, Lane Kiffin, Eli Drinkwitz. Um, who, Chris, in your mind is just maybe when I say best new coach in the SEC, what's your knee jerk reaction? Jeez, that's tough because, I mean, Leach can make something out of nothing like nobody offensively. But Lane Kiffin, I mean, you know, even that one year that he was at Tennessee, he just, I mean, you could tell. That was the toughest game Alabama played until the SEC championship that year, you know, the the – um, the the Rocky Block game, two thousand nine, and Saban saw enough in that he got, got so much respect for how good of a play caller and the X's and O's and so forth that he brought in Lane Kiffin as a as his offensive coordinator. He had to have impressed him, you know, monumentally. So I'm going to go Lane Kiffin. Okay, I I, I like that pick. Uh, I saw a tweet. I, I think it was yesterday. It's from it's from one of Mike Leach's assistant who's been with him at Tech, and then who was with him at Washington State. And it was this list of the last like ten years Mike Leach has been a Division One coach. And it's oh yeah, we're always top three in passing offense. I'm like, well, you better be when you pass it fifty times a game, because if you're not, something's wrong. And uh, and you know I. Leach, I think he did. A, I think you're right in the sense of he did a lot with very little. And now that he's got an SEC budget, now that he's got SEC money, uh, it remains to be seen what he do what he does with that. But I think, I mean, I I, I agree with you. I I think Lane Kiffin on the surface is, is the best coach. But I will say this: with the SEC uh, transfer, Felipe Franks coming from Florida, going over to Arkansas, and I think Sam Pittman. I think he's a little underrated. I think. I don't, I'm not saying he's the best out of those four, but I'm saying he's just an, he's an eye to watch, and I think he's very underrated um, going into his first head coaching job. Yeah, you know, I got to say, I think hiring a former line coach is probably perfect for Arkansas, regardless of of who it might be. Just that that seems to that that place kind of just loves that kind of culture, if you will. Uh, so he's going to be really interesting, um, just in general. But you know, the whole the whole SEC West. I mean, just holy cow, um, from top to bottom is incredibly impressive just overall in, in terms of the coaching ranks. And uh, it's it's so far ahead of all the other divisions in, in college football. And, and granted, OK, look, I'll 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 talk a little bit about, you know, the Big Ten, um, you know, the, the the one division there that that's so loaded. But the bottom end of that division isn't like the bottom end of the SEC West. So it's really going to be fun, interesting. And, and I mean, Mike Leach, I mean, I was doing cartwheels when they hired him. I, actually, this is true. When, when Auburn hired Gus Malzahn, I wanted Auburn to hire Mike Leach instead because I was just, the entertainment factor is going to be 
so incredible. And, you know, we, for Bama Central, I wrote a column last year, SEC Media Days, wondering if it was worthwhile to cover anymore. And now I'm kind of waiting for the schedule to come out to see, like, how many how many nights we're going to have to, uh, you know, figure out how we're going to cover that. <laughs> um, and we're going to try to be there as much as we can. Unfortunately, it's in Atlanta, so there's there's a lot of travel involved. Yeah, and uh, we we, I, we should definitely go to Peter Burns' route, and he should talk to Greg Sankey about getting this scheduled for primetime television. Uh, the, bad, they, the bad thing about that, though, if they and and I, he's right, they should put it on primetime television. The bad thing for us, though, would it would mean a lot more hotel rooms, and so uh, I'd like to avoid that on a purely selfish point of view. <laughs> this is true, but yeah, I, I would rank the new hires. I would go Kiffin, Leach. Uh, Pittman, and then obviously uh, Drinkwitz. But, Chris, let's go ahead and talk about the Crimson Tide and Transition series you're doing on our site. And um, already, you know, coming into 2020, there appears to be some really strong groups Alabama has on the step chart. And it's with the running backs, the offensive line, and then the linebacker group is getting healthy once again. And it looks, you know, the freshmen are turning into sophomore. Out of those three, if I could only give you one group, we're running backs, offensive linemen, and uh, linebackers coming back, what group would you take, Chris? Just as being the best overall? Yeah, at their respective positions. Uh, I got to say with uh, um, with Najee Harris coming back, I think I got to take the running backs, especially with the three guys that were coming in. If, if no one else transfers, and, you know, Jerome Ford has already taken off, obviously, but if no one else transfers – that is a loaded backfield. I, I mean, there are guys who haven't done anything yet who are really eager to get their chance. So that would be number one on my list. You know, the depth part of it is just ridiculous. Um, and, and then, yeah, I'd have to go offensive line second um, and linebackers third. And the only reason why linebackers third is just because the outside starters are going to be unproven no matter who they are. Uh, there's a lot of incoming, you know, really good um, edge guys that Alabama's adding to the mix, but they're unproven, and it's going to take a little while. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that, too. When Najee announced, and uh, I'm thinking, you've got Najee Harris, uh, Roy Dell Williams, Jason McClellan, Kyle Edwards coming in, and then you guess what? You've got Trey Sanders, who, you know, obviously dealing with an injury. He'll, he'll be back healthy. Keelan Robinson, Brian Robinson. Um, this just, I mean, like, the talent, the talent, just you, you can just continue to list it. It goes on and on and on. But um, my concern, you know, if you look at it, um, only one of them is going to be a senior. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Brian Robinson and as a uh, he's he's an upcoming junior, correct? Yeah, uh, he's a coming up to a senior, I believe. Okay, um, so you know, this is him and Najee's final season, and you've got you know about five other running backs who are going to be fighting for playing position. Um, I can, you know, if you kind of like look forward into the future a little bit. Um, there's not going to be enough playing time for everybody. So I'm really interested to see how it plays out. And uh, if, you know, obviously looking forward, if anybody transfers out, um, you know, either before the season or even afterwards. Well, Sanders coming back healthy. You got to think he's going to be number three on the depth chart to begin with. You know, Robinson's proven. Um, and then obviously Najee, you know, I kind of wonder if, if Sanders might if they might use him a little bit more as a third down back than they normally would, I mean, he could obviously do it, but he's, he's got to show that he can uh, handle 
blitzers and the you know pass protections and so forth like that. Um, but you know, Najee and Robinson by themselves are really good. And then you ask, you know, you add the uh, the three freshmen. Yeesh, I, that's that's pretty awesome group right there. I know. I know. I mentioned in the, in our forum talk of the tide, which listeners, um, you guys should definitely hop on, definitely comment on stories, um, hop in there. We're always chatting about something. But um, something I made a joke. I brought up the Domino tweet uh, after Dylan Moses had announced that he was coming back, and there was people after Tua announced he was going to the draft. People were like, "Oh, the Domino tweet got it wrong." Well, once you go back and look at it, the Domino tweet was actually pretty accurate. You have Dylan Moses coming back, Joshua McMillan. Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Landon Dickerson. So, I, I mean, if you think about it, the, the Domino tweet was actually kind of foreshadowing this, um, whether whether we saw it or not. I mean, if, I know a lot of people wanted Tua to be the big Domino, but you got five or six other Dominoes that are, you know, that are just, they could be just as impactful. Yeah, you know, we we had the story on December 9th. Kerry Clark wrote, wrote it for us on all these guys are thinking about coming back. And... You know, it was a fluid situation. You know, guys were going back and forth. They were talking to their families, you know, and, and, and their draft evaluations hadn't all come in yet. And, you know, we had somebody in the in in the building tell us that we we basically nailed that story. And, you know, if you would you would ask me basically until about a week before Tua announced what's he gonna do, you know, I I thought he, he wanted to come back. I have no doubts he wanted to come back. And and for a long time he was leaning on coming back, but it's it's one of those things. The more that that we heard that his his rehab was going well and he was ahead of schedule, the more I was like, yeah, he's it's the healthier he is, the more he's got to go. And that's just kind of the way that that all played out. Uh, Xavier McKinney took it down in the you know long time making his decision. Uh, you know, I think Henry Ruggs. You know, there's a lot of speculation out there that that uh, he really did want to come back, but he was in a position where he really couldn't. So it's, it's Alabama's losing a lot, but it's, it has a lot of guys who are ready to step in. And in one of the things that we did with the series tight in transition, and we really wanted to show people is, uh, you know, spots say like the defensive line, Alabama's looking very, very good, even though, you know, it's losing the one guy who was like the set starter in there who made it through the whole season without an injury there's a lot of guys in that mix who are going to be getting on the field next year. And Alabama is going to be going at teams in waves with its defensive line again. Yeah. And you just released your ninth story. This is on Tuesday about the special teams. And um, you know what, Chris, I thought a comment was, uh, was interesting. Um, it was Mike Bernier. Died. Diamond. I believe he was talking to, uh, to Bama Rapp. online and just talking about his his performance in the Citrus Bowl and talking about how he kind of outperformed Ty Piron a little bit. I thought that was interesting um, because I think for Al Crimson Ty fans, the the position group that is always the biggest question mark is special teams. <laughs> well, it's it's one of those things of uh, you know, like on Twitter, it's like I, I post anything about position groups and it I seem to always get a response of yeah, but if we only you know we still can't find a kicker, you know, and it's just. You know, maybe the question that these fans need to be asking at this point is, you know, why can't instead of why can't we find a kicker? It's it's what's it going to take, you know, for the kicker to be healthy because they've they've got a really good guy with a really strong leg, and he just he just happened to be a freshman last year and he got hurt, and 
at that point, you know, what are they supposed to do? Because you can't just go out and just recruit somebody to, to, to come in at the last second. Um, it, it, is, it is interesting, though, that, you know, such a, such a program that has been so good for so many years and won so many national championships, um, why it is, it has struggled um, in, in this area. And people, you know, they, it's, they forget that J.K. Scott was so good you know, and and they have a tendency to dwell on well, we missed that kick. Well, you're not going to make every kick, but it is kind of it. It is one of those things, um, and it is unusual. And I'm sure that Saban, you know, is is every single day he's trying to figure it out himself, and he's still the best coach in college football. So, um, and and just to kind of add to something like that, you don't see a lot of schools where they have great kickers every single year. You know, they. they they have a, a great kicker for a couple of years, and then they have a couple guys, and then they get another great kicker. It's it's just it's one of those positions. It's incredibly hard to project how a guy in high school is going to do at the collegiate level, and and so forth down the line. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, and I, I think of you know Crimson Tide fans. I mean, I think Will Reichert is still the guy. I think uh, moving forward, I think over the next two years, two to three years, I think he is going to be um, a fantastic kicker and I think he's going to do a fantastic job um, but you look at a school like Georgia who just had Rodrigo Blankenship which just felt like a decade I felt like he was there the entire decade yeah. um, he's gone and you know he was like the SEC kicker of the year or whatever um, but now you know you'll see they, they got the benefit of a really good kicker and now moving forward you'll see what do they have and um, it's the same thing like you're saying with J.K. Scott people just take for granted of it um, because they you know you know they because these guys are one of a kind at what they do yeah, and it's you know if it was so easy anybody could do it, and that's not the case. Yeah, and, and I mean you go you go to even the low levels of football. There's there's an epidemic where kickers just great kickers, elite kickers don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and like I, I you know covering high school sports, um, I can tell you I, across the state of Alabama going to games, there's not many good kickers out there. Um, there's that's why teams they'll constantly go for two. They they don't want to kick it because um, one because they don't have a lot of people to coach that, and there's not a lot of kids who are wanting to kick anyway. Well, um, one 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 thing about Riker that really impressed me in the limited time that we saw him, just the ball just shoots off his foot, and J.K. J.K. Scott was kind of the same way. Just the ball is just different when it comes off off his foot, off his leg. Uh, he's gonna be. Fine. It's just they got to get him healthy, and and you know he's got to get a little bit a little bit older, stronger, wiser, and um, you know not hurt his hip. Yeah, totally. And uh, before we close, Chris, I don't know if you'll be on in the next couple weeks before the Super Bowl, but um, do you have do you, do you have a, a early lean for the Super Bowl 49ers Chiefs? I know we got former uh, Alabama linebacker Reggie Ragland, and then former Alabama wide receiver Garrett Dieter with the Chiefs. Um, yeah. We had Nico Ryan's though for the 49ers as a coach, but do you have an early lean? Well, Dieter's on the practice squad, so he's not going to play in the game. Um, I, I don't. I mean, I, it's it's I'm I'm going to pull for Reggie, uh, so I guess I'm I'm kind of rooting for the Chiefs, although it's a little bit difficult for me because Super Bowl four they beat you know the Minnesota Vikings, and I'm originally from Minnesota, and my dad hated Hankstram. He just thought he was the most annoying coach in the world. But um, it's, I, I think I've told this story before on here. It's, I've, I've had a, a, an interesting aspect of my career is I've had a chance to meet a lot of guys that my dad used to root against. And uh, Kenny Stapler was one of those guys. And, and I loved meeting Kenny. 
And another one of them was Len Dawson, who was the quarterback of the Chiefs uh, in that Super Bowl, Super Bowl four. And let me tell you, he's one of the nicest guys I've, I've ever met. Super outstanding guy. He, he was, um, became a sportscaster in, in the area and, and became very, very good at it. So, um, yeah, I guess I'm I guess I'm rooting for the Chiefs. I didn't really thought about it, but I, I just kind of talked my way through it here. Yeah, the um, you know, outside of the first half of the AFC Championship game, both games were kind of a little bit of a snooze fest. Um, they weren't they didn't have they didn't have the really exciting, you know, last second drama like last year had with the Chiefs, Patriots, and then obviously Saints Rams. But um I think this one's gonna give us a way better Super Bowl Mahomes versus that elite, elite uh 49ers secondary and defense. Um, I think I think I think it's just going to be a great great matchup. Um, something all football fans should be uh, rooting for. It's it's kind of a shame that Ruben Foster isn't still with the 49ers. That would make it um, really fun. But you know, Ooh, obviously he's the Yeah, but yeah, you know, it's it's I I have a tendency to root a little bit for the underdogs uh, in in games like this. And San Francisco's won enough Super Bowls in in my mind. So I'm I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Yeah, uh, my my early pick is the Niners. Um, I, I'll, I'll root for. Uh, I, I've seen this movie before. Uh, you take you give me the best defense versus the best offense in the NFL. I'll take the best defense. We saw it against Seahawks, Broncos, Broncos, Panthers, uh, like a year later, and then obviously last year the Patriots and Rams. So, but thank you again, Chris, for hopping on here, uh, talking about a little tide in transition, twenty twenty, some coaching news. Um, really appreciate your time. Ah, uh, thanks, and I'll, I'll get out of the way for Wimp. Uh, you know, he, I'm sure he's going to be a lot more interesting than I was. Yeah, Wimp, Wimp Wimp's, Wimp's awesome. Um, but, yeah, I'll go ahead, and, uh, and we're going to roll that. But thank you, Chris. Thank you. Awesome. Here is the interview with Wimp Sanderson. I'm back on here on the All Things Bimba podcast, joined by the legendary Alabama basketball coach, Coach Wimp Sanderson. Coach, how are you doing this evening? Um, and you know, how's your how's your week been so far? Well, it's been fine. I'm, I'm doing okay. It's uh, uh, always my my week's always kind of interesting and different, but uh, it's been fine. Yeah. So, Coach Sanderson, I want to ask you this first: When you're watching an Alabama game at, at home, you know, like last Saturday against Missouri. Uh, and you're listening to the broadcasters. Is there a part of you that wants to, you know, to broadcast the game, thinking maybe you could do a better job? Because I know a lot of Crimson Tide fans want you calling uh, uh, the majority of their games. Well, not really. I, I, as far as being, a, you know, broadcasting the games, you mean? Yes. Uh, not, not really. I don't really. I enjoy it, and uh, I've got to do it for a while. And I think uh, for whatever reason, I guess it was maybe old age or something. They sort of. Uh, went, went another direction with younger people, but uh, I've always always enjoyed. I, I think sometimes um, that announcers overdo stuff, uh, try to show you how smart they are, and I think uh, that mother or grandmother or daddy or granddaddy sitting in the uh, in the living room listening to that game really don't understand what you're saying. So I think I think you simplify it as much as you possibly can. That's what I try to do. Now that may not be real effective with the people uh, at ESPN and different places because they like for you to, you know, talk a lot, tell a lot of different things. I think I think the rule is that that uh, you don't tell the audience what the audience can see. If the audience sees uh, what's going on 
to some degree, you don't have to really tell them that there are times that things come up that you need to explain to the audience. But um, I think, you know, I, I just think the simpler, the more you simply simplify it, the, the better you probably are. Yeah, I, I just know a lot of Crimson Tide fans love love watching you when you do the, the non-conference games early in the season. Um, so I just thought I'd ask you about broadcasting. But um, going coming out of this week, you know, Alabama Hoops just beat number four Auburn on last Wednesday and then beat Missouri on Saturday. Um, let's go ahead and start. What um what are what are the things you're seeing out of this NATO coach program right now when it's that that's got it going in the right direction? Well, they have good shooters on their team. Uh, they have, probably have five five good shooters, and they have a good penetrator in Kyra Lewis. Uh, he penetrates awfully well with the ball, and when people try to help against his dribble drives, uh, you know he kicks the basketball over to these other people for shots. And they've got got really good shooters on the team. They're 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 averaging, I think, uh, ten and a half threes a game made, which I think probably leads the league. They're shooting. Uh, I think more than, than anybody in the league is shooting almost 33s a game. Uh, so that's the way they like to play. And if you combine that with fast-break baskets, uh, if you can get the ball off the glass on the defensive glass and run it down for some cheap baskets, and you're sort of playing with, with fast-break fast baskets, which are you know easy two-point shots, as well as the three-point baskets. So... Uh, they don't have a lot. They don't. They don't score a lot in between those two places. They do a good job with their break. They had a little bit of a problem early in the year turning it over, uh, which hurt them some. But they they seem to have uh, improved there, and I think their defense has gotten better. They had a game or two where they maybe didn't play quite as well as the coaches would like for it to have played, but uh, I think they've gotten a lot better defensively as well. And we've already talked about the Auburn game on here a little bit um, on a previous previous episode, but I want to talk about the Missouri game from Saturday. Coach, have you ever seen a team shoot 31 of 31 from the free throw line, a game that you were either, you know, in or your team or a team you were coaching against? No, probably not. But you have to remember now, Alabama shot 25 for 30. So it really wasn't that much difference. I mean, of course, you know, people are always talking about the team not missing any. But sometimes when you make all of them, uh, if the other team doesn't have a good night shooting, you have a chance to win. But, uh, you know, the team that won uh, made 25 for 30, so it was a night where they, they shot all those free throws and only missed, and both teams only missed a total of five. That was Alabama. So, yeah, it was different for them to make 30, you know, 31 straight or whatever it was. And uh, But Alabama also had a very good night shooting free throws. And did it feel like before Alabama really pulled away in that game, did it feel like, you know, maybe in previous years under different coaches that Alabama would have had a letdown there? Um, how how good is it a sign that Nate Oates has got them motivated for the big games like against Auburn and then keeping them even motivated for a game against a 500 team like Missouri? Well, you you got to be motivated against all of them, really. Uh, you know, kids can read the paper and sometimes they have a – you know, have a letdown a little bit, thinking it's going to be an easy game, and that's where you have to do a good job of trying to get them to understand. You have to understand that the Missouri game and, and the Auburn game both count either one loss or one win. The same number of losses and wins. Uh, naturally, people are, you know, around here really wanting to beat Auburn, and Auburn came in undefeated, which made it, uh, you know, which really got Alabama up for the game more so than ever. And Missouri came in 
having just won one game against Florida at home. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think you can look at it from a two-game standpoint. Uh, you know, I think you have to look at it. You, you're going to have some ups and downs. You're not going to win all your games. Basketball is not made where you win all your games. Uh, you can win a lot of them. If you win a lot of them, you get in the NCAA tournament. But I, I think it uh, – uh, I, I listen to people talk all the time about they had a real letdown. I don't know that, you know, sometimes we forget to give the other team credit for playing well, too. Uh, so, certainly um, Alabama played well against Missouri, and they have a, they have a Vanderbilt game uh, Wednesday and tomorrow night, which will be uh, an interesting game, uh, I guess. Um, you know, Vanderbilt struggled like a Dickens for two years, but you still have to be ready to play them. And then, of course, they come back for a Big 12 game against Kansas State. So my theory is that you take it one game at a time and you work really hard to prepare and you be darn sure that you've scouted the other team well, know what they're going to do, but also that your team is ready to play. And sometimes uh, you feel like they are and they aren't. And uh, that's that's when you – when you go into some patterns and try to find the guys who are willing to play. Yeah, and I want to go back to the Auburn game for a second. Um, Coach, you've been a part of Alabama basketball for, you know, as long as us fans can remember, and you've seen Auburn have a rise in the program at times when they were really good, and they're going through a stretch right now in some of, some of the best years in program history, and Alabama is, you know, back on the rise with Netley made out. Why do you think it's so important for both schools to be really, to be, you know, to be really playing at a real high level, just for the state of Alabama, you know, just for, ba- for basketball in the state, really? Well, and actually, each, each coach at each school wants their team to have an opportunity to play for the NCAA in, in the NCAA tournament, and that's your goal when you start is to have a basketball team that wins enough conference games or, or wins a conference tournament in order to play for the national championship. And then uh, you, you have that opportunity if you do so. So uh, it's important from the coach's standpoint, from the player's standpoint, to be able to, you know, play well enough to to be invited uh, into the NCAA tournament. So that that's a that's motivation as it is. Now, uh, your your winner of your tournament uh, gets the automatic bid, but there's still going to be five or six teams in your league that are going to have a chance to go and be seated. So you know, winning is important to, you know, to get people to come out and support your team. And and because t- basketball is such a home court advantage type game that you win so many more of them at home than you do on the road. And uh, it's also important that you try to get what you're trying to get, which is the NCAA tournament. And I know you mentioned the Vandy game coming up in the middle of this week. And I know Alabama won there last year, but Coach Sanderson, was there was there a gym during your coaching time that was just really difficult for you guys to play in, like a place of four? I mean, uh, it, tell me tell me about a gym for you guys that was extremely hard to play in. Well, it's not the gym that's so hard. It's the, it's the I guess the crowd. Florida's always difficult. Kentucky's difficult. Uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, we won the SEC tournament at Kentucky. We won the SEC tournament at uh, at Vanderbilt. Uh, but in regular season games, uh, Vanderbilt always shot the basketball real well back then. Had good players. Right now they're struggling a little bit. Kentucky's always very difficult to, to beat because of the crowd and the home court advantage. Auburn has a real big home court advantage right now. They've done a good job 
uh, promoting their program, and they've done a good job getting a lot of people in the seat. They've changed their they changed the atmosphere a great deal at Auburn, and, and um, you know, you got uh, when you play down there, you have a hard time. So uh, it wasn't it, it's the atmosphere that uh, your opponent uh, is able to uh, provide that gives uh, gives you an opportunity to uh, win at home or have a hard time on the road. Yeah, and uh, on this on this Alabama team. Coach Sanderson, if I, if I have to give you one, if you had one pick, who would be some, who would be a guy you have on your team and build him around? Uh, who who would be on a Whit Sanderson basketball team from this current Alabama team? Well, I don't know that I can name one. I, I think I think uh, Kyle Lewis does a good job of running the offense and getting getting the ball to the open people. I don't know that I could. I'm not real big on naming a you know a particular player or who's my best player, or those kinds of things. I don't I don't do a lot of that, but I would I don't really know. I would say it's according, you know, it's according to what the other, who who I had on the other four players. If I didn't have a point guard, and that's right, I'd like to have Kyle. If I needed a, a postman that was really good, then probably I'd, uh, these post people for Alabama are just trying to learn to play. One's a little bit strong. The other one is just young kids. So uh, just according to what the other four kids I had on my team, what their makeup was. But um, it would be hard for me to say without knowing who the other four were. And, uh, and just this team moving forward, you know, right now they're fourth in scoring. And I think if, if they – I saw a stat uh, yesterday. If they finish uh, with 83 points per game, it would actually be the highest – since uh, one of your years in the in the eighties, um, what 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 do you think the ceiling is for this Alabama team? I know uh, at the, you know at the beginning of the year NCAA tournament looks kind of far away, but now we're in January. You know we're beginning to talk about bracketology, talk about being on the bubble. When what do you think is the ceiling for this Alabama squad? You mean the ceiling in what way? In scoring it or going where they're going or what? Oh no, just the way they're going. Just uh, you know, can this team be a Sweet Sixteen team? Can it be you know just a? Oh, I have no first? idea. Everything, everything, everything's totally dependent on, on. Um, first of all, you have the ability to get in the NCAA tournament. Second of all, where you're seated, and um, you can play opening round games against teams that you haven't seen their style before, and it can be very difficult. And you can be one and done. I, I don't think you can, you know, you can name any any particular team. I, you know, you always a little bit fearful that you will play a team that you haven't seen their style before. Um, so I, I don't, I, I can't answer that until you would know, you know, you know who they're going to play and where they're going to play them and what, what, uh, you know, where they got seated. And, um, you know, there are times that, uh, you know, the Midwest is harder than the South and so forth and so on. So it's just, it's just sort of that, I don't think I don't think you can predict that in the middle of January. And I know NATO, you know, he has this blue collar basketball style uh, where he gives out, you know, the hard hat to the guy who has the most blue collar points after the game. Do you see any similarities um, from when you were coaching Wentz to, to what Coach Oates is doing? Well, I don't know. I, I you know, I was, everybody coaches their own personality, and so you know, my personality was such that. You know, we we worked hard and tried to recruit real hard and get good players and make them behave and make them play hard, get them to play hard. 
Uh, so each each coach you know, coaches the way he feels like it's best for his team to play. And but uh, there's no nobody's going to be successful unless they have uh, year in year out good recruiting. Um, plays don't win games. Players win games, and uh, that's a big thing. So you've got to get good players, and you got to get those good players to play. Uh, if you get good players and you can't get them to play, this and not as you know not worth as much to you. So you have to get good people who are good players, and you have to get on on a consistent basis. And um, what may be a good player for me might not be a good player for somebody else. So. It all goes back, football, basketball, whatever it is, of the kind of players that you're able to recruit. And I, 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 we'll, we'll close on this. Um, you know, you were you were at UA for over 30 years, and, and you saw when Bear Bryant was there, and, and we, we both know Alabama. Um, you know, it's a it's football – Tuscaloosa is a football-crazy town. It's a football-crazy state. Um, and you were there under Sam Newton, and then you had the job. And then Coach Oates is obviously coming in here with Nick Saban already has unprecedented success with football. Um, what are some challenges, um, you know, coaching up ba- a basketball team to the best of their ability when you have a football program that um, maybe sometimes overlook it a little bit? Well, you, you use a football program. Football program's nationally known, and your basketball, my basketball team, got to be nationally known. But you don't, you're not jealous of the football team. You're, you're you use it. You're, you're able to, you know, to be um, in an atmosphere where the football team's winning, and you try to win as well, and you you support them, and you ask them. Coach Bryant always would be willing to call players for me to tell them to come to Alabama because people would be very negative. Uh, they went in and they recruited against us. You know, saying we were just a football school, so um, I think you you do a good job of getting to understand that you're trying to make your basketball team as good as possible. Um, not concerned, not worrying about you know what the football team does, but certainly supporting them and and they support you and you know you're part of you know you're part of of them. They're part of you, and uh, yes, it is a football atmosphere, and you have to overcome that football atmosphere by I think uh, getting the mothers and daddies to understand uh, that uh, the kids that you're recruiting are, are going to have a chance to play at the next level if they're good enough. Uh, that that being a football school doesn't mean anything. Uh, important thing for me when I went into home is what we were going to do with our basketball program, and uh, that 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 was a whole whole thing there. We wanted to be sure that. That, uh, that mother and that daddy and that coach understood that we were we were going to have a good program. Yeah, and it, it seems like you know when today age in basketball, it's it's getting the one and done guys. Um, but Oates had to, I mean, uh, Buffalo has you know he obviously had success with three four year guys, and um, and obviously this year's team is press. You know, well, you have to understand that. You have to understand something that you're not you know you're missing out. Uh, when he got there, they had good players. He didn't recruit the point guard. He didn't recruit John Petty. He didn't. He didn't recruit. He recruited uh, Shackelford uh, and uh, a kid from West Virginia. But remember now that when you take over a job, and I took over too, you take over a job and you try to coach the kids that are there, and you're most appreciative. Uh, and he's done a good job of what's there. But you have to remember now that there were good players when he got there. They've gotten better. 
he's played in a different style, and that probably made him better. But you have to be appreciative of of, of the guys that are there. You can't you can't walk into a school and and all the players be gone and think you're going to do well. So I, I, I don't think maybe there's a misunderstanding there. You, you you take whatever you have and you do the very best you possibly can. Now he's done a good job with the players that are there, and certainly gets a lot of credit for that. But there are good players there. Oh yeah, he he inherited a very talented roster. And who do you think went? Uh, has maybe, I mean, maybe for just from your perspective, just I mean, as, as a viewer, and, and you know, you you you've been at most of the games. Uh, who's maybe benefited from Oates and his system the most? Because I because I, when I watch the games, I see a different player in John Petty on the defensive end of the court. I see Alex Reed. He has a new energy about himself. Who's the guy that that you see that's really been? Well, I don't know that I can name a guy. I think I think that. I think the way they're playing, uh, running the fast break and shooting threes and being pretty good defensively is probably a, a better way for this team to play, uh, for all of them to play. I think that, you know, their, their scheme and style is probably a little bit better. Um, but um, as far as any one particular player, I think, you know, he, I think the biggest thing for this team would they need to be a little bit more hard-nosed, need to be a little bit tougher. And I think that toughness, as you play, as you continue to play through the season, it, that toughness gets there, and and that you get better with that. So I think uh, I think all of them can benefit because you you know you're playing a little bit different way than they played before. Yeah, and uh, and we'll, and we'll find out on Wednesday against Vanderbilt, and then Saturday against Kansas State. Thank you again, Coach Sanderson. We're very 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 appreciative of your time. Glad to do it for you. Thank you.